How do you approach God? Might be a weird question to ask you to think about. I mean, maybe you've never thought about it. How do I approach God? Truthfully, my approach to God personally has been somewhat open. I've, I've, tr- I've really seen God as a father figure. And as a result, I've treated my relationship with him the same way I do with my dad. We talk, we laugh, we cry, right? My dad is one of my top supporters. He watches my sermons when they're online. He's probably watching right now. Hey, dad. And almost every time he watches, I get a text from him that says, hey, great sermon, strong message today, or something like it. It's not just because I'm really good at this, okay? (laughs) No, folks, listen, I, I value my dad's feedback. Not just because he's my dad, that's important, but because he was a pastor himself. He's done what I'm doing. We will have phone calls where we will talk about faith and ministry. He's one of my best friends. That's how I view God. But I'm certain it's not how everyone does. It's not the same for all of us. Imagine that we all approach God a little bit different. Maybe you see him as a father figure. Maybe not. And seeing God as a father is also a loaded image depending upon how the relationship you have with your own earthly father has gone. If you had a bad relationship with him, it may have made your view of God look a little different. You might see God as a distant being who is aloof to our needs. That might be how you view him. Maybe you've pictured him as a guy with a white beard and a white robe, and he's sitting on the throne just judging everyone. Maybe you see him as this bloodthirsty tyrant who needs to be appeased with good behavior and sacrifice. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, sometimes you're like, man, that is a scary God. I can somewhat understand these images. Because I'm going to tell you that these are things that people have portrayed historically about God. They have communicated who God was or miscommunicated who God was in many cases because they didn't understand him properly. Yet we get to find out who God was and is when we get to meet and learn about his son, Jesus Christ. This is why we're in this series we're calling The Good News. We want people to know and understand the gospel of Jesus and what that good news means for everyone. We want to properly know what God feels about us and how we can approach him. Because Jesus came down and brought God's kingdom here on earth. He came and he was the king of heaven, but he came down to bring his love and his ways down to earth. He came to show us the only way we can approach his Father. And the beauty of that is it's not just for certain people. It's not just for some of us. It's not just for those of us that look a certain way, we're born into a certain family, are good at following the rules. This good news that Jesus came down to share and offer his life for all of us That is for everyone. The mercy of God is not just for the people of God. 
That's our big idea for today. Turn with me, if you would, if you've got your Bible, pull it out and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. And if, you, if, you, if you've got a Bible app, that's great too. If you don't have a Bible, listen, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen here in just a minute. But I do want you to know that if you, if you don't have a Bible, you want one, you want to get one of those in your hand, we want to give that to you. You stop at the hub out in the lobby and pick one of those up. They're free. We want to give that to you as a gift to take with you, okay? Now, we're going to be reading an interaction with Jesus and someone that I think really shows us how he offers salvation to all people. And just before this section of Scripture, if you're reading through chapter 7, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what is in our hearts that defiles us. Nathan, actually, if you were here with us last week, Nathan uh, spoke on this about how sin in our lives is what really causes our hearts to be broken. But we're going to pick up here in, in chapter 7, in verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This interaction really doesn't go the way I think we imagine Jesus, right? If you've, come, if you've been a churchgoer, if you go to church, like this is not necessarily the way I picture Jesus. I kind of picture Jesus more as this likable, friendly guy who's kind and soft-spoken to everyone. I mean, look at how he treats people throughout Scripture. That's what I think. Yet here, we see Jesus in somewhat different light. He's coming to this house, and Mark actually makes it really clear that he didn't want anyone to know he was there. He didn't want to be found. He was in he didn't, I don't want people to know I'm in town. I mean, I imagine what's going on is he's looking for some rest. He's come to this place to take a break. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been traveling around. He's been overwhelmed by people, right? I can relate, right? That happens sometimes. We get overwhelmed. And again, we see Jesus that while he is still God, right, he has that power. He is also fully human. And so he's looking for time for himself, or at least time alone with his disciples. Yet this woman finds Jesus and is looking for healing for her daughter. And this was a woman who would not have been accepted, typically, in Jesus' presence. Mark makes it clear to point out that she, that she is from an area where she is both Greek and also being Syrian, Phoenician, that this makes her an outcast. You may not know this about Jewish people in that time. The tradition said that this was an outcast. She was considered unclean. Uh, she would not have been accepted in the eyes of these people in this area. They wouldn't have wanted to even interact with her, talk to her, or have any dealings with her. See, I wonder for some of us if there are people in our lives who feel this way about Christians, Right? Maybe you're sitting in here today and, and you've struggled with how people, people who claim to know God, right? People who claim to be believers in Jesus, how they act, how they treat you. 
like an outcast because you've got different beliefs. Maybe you've been called a sinner and a failure. You've come from a different social or economic or racial background. Maybe it's just that you've made mistakes and you've heard that, listen, you got to get it together before you can come to Jesus, before you can walk into this church. See, this woman was all that, according to the Israel, Israelite religious leaders. She fit those categories, but she has made her way before Jesus, and she's looking for something for her daughter. She's looking for healing. Again, as a parent, imagine what lengths you would go to for your child to be healed. Now, I want you to know this. Listen, Jesus' response here is not what I would have expected, okay? He starts by telling her that first, the children must eat all they want. And when Jesus says this, what he's referencing is the Israelite people. Actually, in Matthew's version of the exact same interaction, okay? He records it in his gospel as well. Jesus actually says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, these are the children that Jesus is referring to when he says this. Now, Jesus isn't demonstrating ethnic bigotry against Gentiles. That's what this woman would have been called, a Gentile, anyone who's not of Jewish faith and religion and, and, and cultural background. But what Jesus is doing is maintaining his commitment to fulfill the mission for which he was sent. See, Jesus must first go to the nation of Israel so that the Gentiles will glorify God for his promises that he made to his people. The phrase, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, means literally all of Israel. They were all regarded as lost sheep. So it appears that Jesus wanted this woman and possibly anyone else who was around to recognize, hey, I'm limiting my activities while I'm here on earth. The kingdom must first be offered to the Jewish people, and then they would be the conduit of, Jew of Jesus' kingdom to the rest of the world. But that statement he makes, and he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, is that what, really what Jesus said? Did he call this woman a dog? Yeah. Matthew said the same thing. They Two, two different people saw the same interaction and heard the same words. He alludes to her as a dog. And even Matthew, in Matthew's thing, like he said, he sees the same thing, right? It's not right for the dogs to eat before the, the lost sheep. And this got a shock maybe and maybe offend some of us, right, to think that Jesus would call someone a dog. And the dogs that he's talking about here, I'm just going to be fair with you, are not domesticated, good-looking dogs that we keep as pets, okay? These are wild, mangy, just crazy dogs. Listen, I'm telling you, when I was in India, there were dogs everywhere. And they were not dogs that we know now in this country, right? They weren't pets. They were wild dogs, hungry scrounging for food in the streets. These are some of the lowest creatures around. Many of us would gasp at this and say, how could he call her a dog? 
Why would he do that? I want you to see how this woman responds to what Jesus says right here. Because it's interesting what we're going to find. She actually says back to him. Lost my page. Here we go. In verse 28, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. You see, this response from Jesus does not deter this woman, doesn't slow her down. She humbly persists in her request. And she even falls at the feet of Jesus. She calls him Lord. She acknowledges the kingship of Jesus. I just want to take a moment here to recognize the power of that, okay? This woman is an embodiment. This is interesting that it happened when it did. She's the embodiment of what Jesus was previously teaching to his disciples and to the, to the Pharisees about those customs. He, when he's teaching about what truly defiles a person comes out of their mouth as it reflects what's been planted in their heart. This woman's gender and ethnicity and social status, which were considered, right, culturally unclean and unworthy, it did not defile her. The Pharisees, right, who were considered acceptable socially and religiously, they were considered the top notch, right? They were defiled in their hearts. They didn't acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. And this woman quickly understands the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach. And I think for many of us, we, we wouldn't get that point, right? We would, we would hear Jesus call us dogs. We'd be taken aback. We would say, but Jesus, I've followed your rules, man. Like, I've done what you've asked. I've worshipped you. I've given to you. I've given you money, Lord. I've, I've tithed. I've done whatever you've asked. Jesus, give me the healing. I deserve it. Why do we think we deserve it? Because we've come to believe that we deserve what God has done for us. We have been convinced of these unalienable rights afforded to us. This is, hey, you know we got this thing called the Declaration of Independence? It says these words, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You didn't think you were going to get a history lesson when you came in today. Well, you got it. You see, we've been told we have rights. Unalienable means not able to take away. We have rights that cannot be taken away. Life, liberty, pursuing happiness. And then we put this together with this Bill of Rights that sets it in our government-defined sanction rights. Throughout history, people have said, I deserve rights. I deserve to be treated in a certain way. I get to decide how I get to live. No one can tell me otherwise. Why do we think this is true? Because we've been born in the United States? What if you were born in North Korea? What would your rights look like? How would they be different? 
Listen, I believe that freedom and the ability to make your own choices are a good thing. I'm so grateful to have been born somewhere that I can worship freely. The beauty of this declaration that was written is that it is based not upon the world, but it is based upon ideas that were instilled in the hearts of people who believed in Jesus Christ. Saying that all people, regardless of status, race, gender, or anything else, should be treated with dignity isn't what the world teaches. It's what Jesus Christ taught. Jesus even teaches, listen, that these things should be true for someone who is against him. The mercy of God is not just for the people of God. Yet when we talk about these rights, these perceived, deserved, we would say, unalienable things, they're not true in all places. They're certainly not in these pages. Go read the Old Testament. Okay? When these words were given to us from God, the, the scripture, when these things were written, the people didn't live in a time where they had voting rights. They didn't have freedom. These were kingdoms. Who ran kingdoms? Not the people. Kings. Kings ran them. And when, you tell, and when a king tells you something, you do it or you die. If you spoke against your king, that was it. You're done. Jesus said he was bringing the kingdom of heaven with him. He was and is a king, meaning as our king, we are called to follow his commands. We don't earn or deserve anything. Folks, in relation to God, on the scale of importance in this universe, we are dogs. I know that's not what you thought you would hear this morning. I don't think you expected to go to church and have the pastor say, you're a dog. Particularly because I'm just going to also share with you that most of us in this room, and I don't know all of your cultural backgrounds, but I would guess most of us are what they would have called Gentiles. We are not part of the original Jewish faith. And this seems offensive. Why is it offensive to us? Because our pride says we aren't dogs. Our pride tells us we are owed something. We are owed, our pride tells us that either we deserve it because, because I deserve respect I deserve to be treated in a certain way that I want. Or sometimes our pride, or the lack thereof, tells us the opposite. It tells us that we are too far gone. There's really two reasons why people don't come to Jesus and ask for him to be the king of their life. Two reasons why we struggle to accept the grace that he gives to us freely. And it comes from one of two places, either superiority or inferiority. Superiority says, how dare you tell me what I need to do? I can get by on my own. I can work hard. I'm smart enough. I've got intelligence. I've got resources. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I can earn my way. 
We tell God, I don't need you, God. And you, and you, and you, this may be hard for you to, to see in yourself because I'm hopeful that many of you, I'm just being fair, I'm hopeful many of you don't verbalize, verbally say to God, I don't need you. The problem is, is that we live as though we don't need God. We don't take our needs to God. We have too high of a view of ourselves. We let our career and our family and our, our relationships and our friends and our addictions, we let so much more define who we are. We let those things try to be the center of our lives. We believe that those things will save us from this world that we live in. We have put our faith in our own abilities. Paul said it really well when he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. He said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. On the other side of this, there are some of us who feel inferior. We buy into this dog analogy so much that we don't believe Jesus can save us. We look at our past, our mistakes, our problems, and we say, I've done too many bad things. How could God care for someone like me? How could, someone, how could God want to forgive someone with me? He can't do it. And that's when we just continue to live in our sin and continue to say, i got to figure out another way. That's when we give up hope. And when we do this, I want to tell you, we think too low of Jesus. We think that he is not willing or able to forgive us. See, what we do there is we try to take the power of his grace away. But it can't be done. His grace is sufficient, it says, for all needs. Look at how that woman responds. In a moment where she could have given up, right? She could have just said, out, you know what? He's not going to help me. She could have walked away. She is persistent. And her response is beautiful. I love this line. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She doesn't argue. Hear me. She does something that none of us, I think, would do. I'm just going to be fair. I know I wouldn't have responded this way. She doesn't argue that her needs make her an exception or that she somehow has the right to Israel's mercies or that the mysterious ways of that divine justice that Jesus offers is unfair, right? She doesn't let her pride stand in the way of her low view of herself to, and it doesn't cause her to walk away. She simply asks for help. She's hopeful that she will be allowed to receive just a crumb of the kindness of the Lord. See, she perceives that grace is freely given to everyone, even the Gentiles. And, it's, and that faith that she seeks, that simple faith is honored. Again, Jesus speaks, this time with emotion, and the woman's daughter is healed at the moment. The mercy of God is not just for the people of God. This woman gets it. What so many of the disciples and religious leaders missed or couldn't grasp, this woman understands. An outcast, a 
dog, so to speak. She says, I know I don't deserve it. I don't. I know I, don't, I can't earn your love, Jesus. But I know you've got plenty of it to go around. And we need to get this idea as well. See, you are more wicked than you ever believed. And you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. See, salvation is dependent on God's grace. And it's completely independent of anything else. Jesus' grace and love, it breaks through any ethnic or political or social boundaries. There is nothing we can do to make this happen. Our King, Jesus, is the one who makes this happen. He's the one who gives you freedom from sin and death. Remember this definition that we've used for the gospel throughout this series. This is the good news that saves us, that Jesus died for our sin and rose from the grave so that we can have full life in him. And the beauty of that gospel is that Jesus is the only one doing the work. I'm going to tell you, our love of Jesus is not what saves us. You may have heard that being a Christian or you've got that idea is all about love and loving God, right? That if we love God with all of our heart, then we are saved. Look at this passage in 1 John. John wrote this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Did you catch it? This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John is saying to us, your love of God doesn't save you. It is God's love for all of us that saves us. That's a powerful thing to realize. Because when we recognize that it's His love that saves us, it again takes the power out of our hands. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to work harder to earn that love. We can't do it. It should fill our hearts with joy, knowing that in all situations, Jesus loves us. That is good news for everyone. And that deep appreciation and fulfillment coming from that joy should lead us to want to follow what God wants for us. We don't do the work. We don't try to get better. We don't try to sanctify our lives because we think that will save us because we can do it on our own. No, we do that because we are so grateful for what Jesus did for us. And that appreciation and fulfillment should lead us to do what John says, right? He says that because God loves us so much, that's why we should love one another. And that includes everyone in our lives. The mercy of God is not just for the people of God. There might be people in your lives that you see as this woman who came to see Jesus. 
someone who you don't like, someone who is your enemy. They may have mistreated you. They may call you names. Maybe you're the one calling them names. Maybe out loud, maybe in your mind. You call them things like loser and sinner and slut and addict and bum. You use these phrases on people. They may not look like you. They may not believe what you believe. Maybe they have different views on politics and sexual identity. And you've decided that this person isn't welcome at your table. And as a result, you've decided that they don't get to approach the table of God. You're not going to invite them to know Jesus. You're not going to share the good news with them. You hold it to yourselves. How do our attitudes, us as believers, those of us in this room that call ourselves believers, how do our attitudes and the way we show compassion and the generosity that we have and the attention we give and the care that we show others, how does that pave the way or how does it hinder people from approaching God? Folks, we should all be treated like dogs when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. We are low. We are unworthy. We have all fallen short of the glory of what God designed for us. And yet, Jesus went to that cross. He showed great love for us. How dare we ever hold that good news back from anyone? To love another person means we are called to share this good news with everyone in our lives. So who are you going to tell? Who needs to hear? The mercy of God is not just for the people of God. Maybe that sharing of the good news comes through you going out and serving others, serving these people who you don't think deserve your time, right? Showing love to people who are struggling, the homeless, the addict, the single mother, the under-resourced, whoever it is in your life, the children of broken homes, the kid in your class, right, who no one ever acknowledges, who's mistreated. Who needs to hear that Jesus loves them? Today it might be you. Maybe you, you needed to hear that Jesus loves you. You needed to hear that even though you can't earn it, he gives it to you. Or might, you might need to hear that you can't get there on your own. This full life that you've been chasing and everything else, right? These other things of the world is leaving you in an empty void, right? Of anxiety and struggle. And only Jesus can offer you the full life you need. Only Jesus can give you the mercy. The king, instead of saying, do it my way or you die, says, I've done this for you so that you may live. See, on the cross, the child of God was thrown away, was cast away from the table without a crumb so that those of us who are not children of God could be adopted and brought in. The child had to become a dog so that we could become sons and daughters at the table. That's what the gospel means. 
Are you willing to accept this gift? Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we know we don't deserve what we got, Lord. We, we know that ultimately we don't earn anything you gave us. And yet, Lord, you say, you deserve my love more than you ever knew. You deserve it not because of anything you can do. You deserve it because I love you. Lord, never let us forget that. Never let us forget who we are to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we want to pray with you this morning. I know some of you might be nervous to come forward. You're worried that some, someone might think if you come out and you come up to the front, you don't want to be asked to be let out. Listen, don't let that pride stand in the way of receiving the love that Jesus wants for you. Don't think too low of yourself at this that Jesus can't accept you. See, if you're ready to let Jesus be your king, to accept this grace, man, come forward. There'll be people down front here. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you need to be lifted up for something else that's going on in your life. Maybe you're struggling with, with how you're treating other people. Maybe you're struggling with just something that, you know, we don't even know. That, but, you, but you need to come before Jesus, your king, and ask for his mercies. Maybe you just need to come down front here and kneel and pray. Whatever it is, don't be ashamed. Come on up this morning.